Organissima New York. Your exotic skin, hair, and beauty source, and your one-stop shop for all your natural and organic skin and hair care. Featuring authentic organic Moroccan oil and prickly pear seed oil and much more. Bringing you only the best straight from the source and proudly produced in the USA. So what are you waiting for? Shop today at www.arganissima.com. Arganissima, New York. Your beauty is our... Folks, welcome back to the iHealth channel, iHealth Radio, with your host, Hurricane Age. New day, new show, new topic. Actually, something that I wanted to cover uh, uh, you know, for a few months now. And unfortunately, we, you know, my guest and I, we had uh, different scheduling conflicts and uh, we weren't able to make it at the time. It was really actually the top of the hour for this discussion. And uh, but, but it's OK. We're here today and we're going to cover this topic. But I have someone that actually has a very diversified background and uh Someone who loves to travel, first of all, he's covered a lot of grounds uh, all around the globe. So I think over 80 destinations. Uh, and you might ask, like, well, this is a health show, well, wellness. Yes, we're going to cover that. This is just an introduction about him. But he's also a, uh, a, a senior state and federal political you know, uh, person. And uh, he's a, an executive in, in, the, in the tech industry. And we're going to talk about all that stuff. And also, he's an activist. And uh, Recently, the reason I said we were going to have a show a few months back and uh, we didn't make it is because that was the, the time where there was a lot of uh, hate crime, I would say, uh, targeting the uh, basically the Asian uh, community and other communities, but particularly the Asian because of the pandemic. And uh, this particular guest of ours today and, you know, without any further ado, that is Jeff Lee and uh, <laughs> welcome, Jeff. You know, I was a little... Uh, Funny, I always try to start the show with some, some uh, you know, suspicious and uh, <laughs> suspenseful, <laughs> you know, intro, but but hey, we, we're here. So Jeff, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Hurricane. I mean, it's it's great. And I will tell you, I know it's taken us a while to get together, but I promise you it'll be a worthwhile conversation. I'm excited to be with you and with your audience today. It's gonna be wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Same here, same here. And first of all, I'm just intrigued about your background because of all the stuff you do and all the stuff you've been doing and and the positions you've held actually you know over the years i mean i know you're in dc right now well uh, you you you're in dc politics you're in dc to health tech well not health tech tech and then you know uh, you'll tell us more about the security and, and the tech world but also you were in california with the governor of california a while back and uh so so let's talk about just your journey you know as a whole and then we'll talk about you know your heritage and and the impact and really the core today is to talk about the the impact of mental state and then the health, you know, uh, issues that, that can be contributed to the hate, you know, crimes for no reason. I mean, that yeah. <laughs> unfortunately that's what that's been happening. So, yeah, I mean, it's a very, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the past 21 months have been hard for everybody globally. Yes. Um, but if you were to really examine specific communities, the Asian American Pacific Islander communities face significant challenges during this time, specifically, I think what you alluded to in the areas of, discrimination, acts of violence, acts of hate. Um, and, you know, it's actually really interesting timing that we're recording our conversation, but just, just days ago, uh, an Asian woman in New York City on the subway, you know, got pushed, pushed to her death um, in front of a train. And you're asking yourself, how does this have any effect on the Asian hate conversation? 
everyone I know when they get onto the train, if you're from the Asian community, you're looking around. You've always been looking around, but you're looking around a little more because these incidents, these horrible, shameless acts, um, they've been growing, actually growing significantly in scale across the country. And, you know, when you're looking at acts of violence, acts of hate during this pandemic, you're seeing the highest increase in hate crime that the FBI has reported in 12 years. In a place like California, where, you know, has the largest Asian American community in the country at 16% of the country, right? So 16% of the country's Asian Americans live in California. It's about 6% of the country overall. Hate crime towards Asian Americans in California, where Asians have been there since the 19th century, is up over 100%, you know? 7,000 self-reported cases, of which two-thirds of these are perpetrated against women. This is reported, so there's probably much higher. Sure. But I want you to think when this, when this incident happens, it puts this cold chill across every person in the community's spine because it could be their mom, it could be their sister, it could be their daughter, and they've been dealing with this for quite some time. But in our cultures, which by the way, 50 or so ethnicities, 100 languages, we're taught at a very early age to not talk about it because we should be grateful and just happy to be in this obviously amazing country. We should be grateful for being here despite all of these things. And during the pandemic, uh, early on, Asian Americans were being scapegoated for some of the ills that COVID-19 presented, obviously falsely but that was a trend that was quite significant and affected every single person in the community I could think of in all the small ways, right? Ranging from sort of the shifty looks that you get in the supermarket to random strangers coming up to you and um, being aggressive to you, you know, me being spit on in public spaces, which has happened to me. I, I don't consider myself the sort of the most natural spitted targets, but that happened. And that really did inspire uh, me to be more active and engaged in these uh, processes, which was hard because again, as an Asian American, you're, you're, you are, you've spent your whole life trying to fit in, mm -hmm. right? And even though I've had a career that's ranged wildly, you know, in, you know, what you alluded to, you know, in the areas of public service and international relations, and now in technology at some of the highest levels, there is still a sense that you don't fit in. There's still a sense you're not a leader and that you're not valued. And for me, one of the most important messages to highlight to members of our community, but also to the broader community, like I say, future allies like yourself and others, is that there's a lot of horrible things happening in the world, but we don't think about this community to have faced this discrimination. No, even though this is something that's gone beyond um, the time of the pandemic, it's highlighted even more so in the public health crisis, right? They call it the twindemic, right? So mm -hmm. you have the ills of the pandemic, uh, you know, including health indicators, economic indicators, but also the the acts of, you know, very blatant racism that do have effects in the health uh, expectations in the community. And that uh, has significant impacts of how um, the community is sort of facing these challenges. And now they're fighting back. Now they're speaking up more. And that's why we're having this conversation today. I would tell you three years ago, there's no way I would ever done a, a podcast ever. No way. In fact, when you're in politics, you are trying to avoid uh, public engagement. <laughs> That's just the design, right? And here we are talking because there's things that we should talk about and have an honest dialogue uh, with folks, maybe who haven't thought about this issue in these ways before. 
Well, thank you, Jeff. I mean, uh, you, you're alluding, you're covering a lot of angles there. I mean, literally, and we can, <laughs> we can spend, you know, a whole day just, just breaking it down. But, but, you know, for the interest of actual, first of all, uh, you know, I do want to go to your, of course, your, your story in terms of your politics and stuff like that. And, and what drove you to get into, like, really, to your point, mm -hmm. the, the actual activist, you know, yeah. role that you have today. Uh, but, but, but I do want, before we get back to that, uh, you mentioned something. I mean, first of all, the statistics that you gave, that, that's, that's almost scary. I mean, when you think about the, the percentage of the population, and again, you keyword Asian, and, and that's the other thing, there are 50 plus, you know, ethnicities within that, that realm, within that group, and 100, you know, dialects and languages. And, and that's the other thing, for a lot of folks, you know, that might think that that was only like Chinese, you know, uh, targeted, but you know, that's what you what the key point here is that it's not just for the Chinese or, or it's all Asian, you know, uh, Americans uh, have experienced some of this because people don't don't make a difference. They look at you and like, oh, Asian. So, you know, might be Chinese or whatever. Uh, they see the name that can be the case. And that's that's just pure ignorance. But unfortunately, it's driven by fear, mostly. And you're right. There was two things. There was the fact that, you know, the pandemic started. And because the first hype was it came from China. Uh, so that that was the biggest thing. I mean, to your point, New York has been one of the, the targeted areas. I mean, a lot of incidents that, mm -hmm. you know, that happened in, in the last two years. And you just kind of reported the last one uh, that, that just happened. Uh, but but really, it's it's almost scary to know that few months back, you would walk into any place and, you know, people look at you weird and, or, you know, if you were from the community, you're not feeling safe everywhere you go. you probably feel like, you know, who's going to like, in your case, you are at the airport and, and someone literally spot in your face, you know, go to your country, <laughs> go home. Yeah. You know, hello. Home. Yeah. Where go am home. I going to go? Go back to where you come from. Yeah. I, but you see, that's the other thing. Again, that's why I said it's pure ignorance. I mean, people, yeah. educated people would know the difference to, <laughs> that, even if you're an immigrant, you know, this country has been made for, from immigrants. I mean, other than Native Americans and the indigenous, indigenous, you know, communities, everybody else came from somewhere. And so there are different waves, different immigrants, but that's it. But no one can, can claim it, literally, <laughs> you know, except the originals, right? You know, we're going we're gonna to say something. Well, Hurricane, I'm glad you mentioned that. So I guess, you know, in talking about my family background, it's important to highlight sort of American history with Asian communities, because I think it's just helpful. You know, one of the reasons why uh, the Asian communities face so much of this um, xenophobia mm -hmm. is because there is a perception that Asians are not from here, that Asians are sort of the other, right? And that even if they're from here and speak the language and have citizenship here and contribute to local economies and communities, they're still not really from here which is a really interesting perspective to have when you think that in the history of Asian American migration to the United States, right? Originally in the 19th century, because of the Chinese workers with railroads and then Japanese entrepreneurship on the West Coast, mm -hmm. that is a migration that started in the 19th century, right? So the California gold rush, these things. And I say this because the timing of that migration, their arrivals are in most instances earlier than most Irish Americans, German Americans. So why, why are we not thinking those German Americans are someone else, right? It's because for whatever reason, you look different in some way and you're perceived differently, despite history saying you've actually been here 
multiple generations longer. Now, it's important to take a point though, right? We talked about 50 ethnicities or nationalities within this broad cadre of people. A very different migration story for each of these communities, these different waves of legacy caused largely by insecurity and turmoil around the world and also the hopes for people to find a better life for their family. This sort of concept, the, the American dream. So one thing that unifies everybody, right? This concept that a, an immigrant or a person seeking an opportunity comes to the United States in the hopes of a better life for their family, but actually specifically for their children. Because the truth is these immigrants that come to the United States, their life is better, but they, the true upside of the American dream is the potential of their children. And that's the blessing of that dream. But also it's a sacrifice for the folks coming here who escape usually conflict, come here with generally nothing and are facing incredible, almost insurmountable odds to give their children the opportunity of choice, the choice to do whatever the heck they wanna do, anything they've ever dreamt of, right? And that's partly my story, my parents, which I'll tell you about. My parents were boat people from Vietnam. They were supporting American troops during the Vietnamese conflict. Guess what? The Americans left and the Viet Cong regime came down, took our family's farm and my parents left the country in the middle of the night on a 32 foot raft and escaped. They got picked up by the Thai Navy and they lived in refugee camps in Thailand and the Philippines for six years. Okay. Pretty standard story actually for Southeast Asia. They didn't land. They landed in California in 1981. And I was born a year after, right? That's recent history. That's 40 years ago coming up. Okay. I'm almost 40, but that that's two generations ago, the time frame, right? Mm -hmm. So they arrive, they come with nothing and they start a gardening company in Southern California. And it's my, it turns out to be my first job. I, my first job was working for my dad at age eight mowing lawns, trimming hedges for very wealthy people. And I learned three things about working manual labor. Number one, working manual labor sucks. It's really important to know. Uh, there's, it's really tough work. I admire anybody who works with their hands in the sweats, the blood for a living. It is incredible work. I don't know how people do that 18 hours a day, but my parents did. The second thing I learned about working as a gardener's kid is that people treat you based on what they think your value is, okay? So when you're the help, you are perceived a certain way. And three, it always reminded me of the value of education because education meant choice down the road. So it was good to hit the books. Otherwise I was gonna have to mow lawns forever. I didn't wanna do that. So my parents had a classic of immigrant tale. They started their business, had nothing, worked 18 hours a day. I never really saw them. You know, the engine of the truck would start during the morning. The engine of the truck would stop at the middle of the night. That's when they came home. That's when they left. That's when they left. That's when they came home. And then that, after that, they saved up their money and invested in a chicken farm in Southern Georgia. So this is sort of the twist here. So Asians in the South is always interesting, right? When you think about race and class, you sort of think black and white, just like, just stereotypically. So when you're Asian, they don't really know what to do with you, right? I say all this because they moved to Georgia uh, in 2000 and they run this free range organic chicken farm, 200,000 birds, okay? So it's not exactly the easiest thing. And I'll just tell you, chickens are total jerks. 
the tie into this, right, is they got to have complete freedom. They got to work for themselves in an industry that rewarded hard work. Um, they were able to create brand loyalty and really prosper locally in a community that took them in because of their work ethic and because of their contributions. I want to fast forward it though, right? So in March of 2020, so this was, you know, sort of the peak bad part of the pandemic, right? You might recall there were three um, horrible instances of the virus outbreaking early on. One was in Italy, mm -hmm. two was in New York City, and the third, which nobody talks about, uh, but it's important to note, is in Southern Georgia, where my parents' farm is. And about 15 minutes away from their farm, there was a funeral. There was a wake, a thousand people went. Everybody got it. A lot of people died. The whole place was just littered with issues. And as you know, from your storytelling and health, rural healthcare ain't that good in this country, okay? So the hospitals are completely overrun. And this ain't Sloan Kettering. This ain't NYU. This is the middle of nowhere, three hours south of Atlanta. If you're lucky, you could make it to Grady Memorial. You, but guess what? You probably didn't, and then you probably died. That was March 2020, before vaccines, before any of this. But when that wave ended, my parents noticed that their friends, friends they'd known 20 years, you know, had dinner together, saw their kids grow up together, did business together, buried friends together, you know, this sort of thing. They weren't getting much house calls from friends. And not until about the summer, one of the neighbors confessed what was going on. And they said, listen, we really like you, but you're the reason why the virus is here. And I just want you to think, Hurricane, my parents have been in this country for almost for 41 years. And they spent their entire lives trying to build something secretly so that they can say they're a part of this. And in one instance, they were reminded that they will never be a part of that. And it just broke their heart. So they call. And my dad and my mom, they're, you know, typical Asian. They're, 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 they're so cool and collected, right? You could hear it, like the trembling in the voice. And I'll never forget that. You know, when you hear your parents show weakness and vulnerability, you can't shake that. And when my mom and dad told me what happened, I was like, I can't, I can't let this happen. I need to say something. Now, you alluded to it earlier. So six months earlier before, so at the time when my parents were going through their situation, just weeks earlier, I was flying for my last work trip. Um, I was laying over in Nevada for a meeting and I was rushing to the airport because, you know, when you're doing business, you're trying to fit in everything before you fly. And after check-in, after security, this, I'm getting ready for my flight and this woman comes up to me. She looks me in the eye. She spits in my face. And she says, go back where you come from. And she doesn't mean California or DC, by the way. Just want to tell you, she didn't know I was living in DC. Okay. So I don't think she meant go back to our capital. I don't think she meant that. I think she meant somewhere much farther. And my answer normally would be, I usually try to make a joke when horrible things happen. Cause I find that's again, as an Asian to bat blend in, I usually tell a joke like, you know, Hey, I love going to China, but you know, it's a really long flight or, <laughs> you know, you have to, or like, well, or like, you know, thank you for this travel suggestion. I think I'll put it on my list. Really appreciate it. Right. The issue wasn't um, being spit on it being spit on. It had happened to me before. It's not a great feeling as you can imagine. What was really hard was watching like a dozen people around me see it happen, look at me, 
turn away like it never happened. And that not only did it not happen, I didn't matter. I was worthless. The person in the suit and tie who was trying to live this American dream on behalf of my parents still was valueless in this society. And I want you to imagine the, the health feelings I was feeling in that moment, right? Um, I never wanted to feel that again. And when my parents were told, you know, they were the reason the virus here, that's the exact same thing of being spit on. And so this opened the door to speaking about um, issues within the community to others. So for the first time in my life, I decided I would write something. I'd never written anything for public consumption ever in my life, even though I had been in public policy and had been, you know, worked for various companies. So I wrote a local piece about the contribution of immigrants in the era of COVID-19 as small business owners, uh, as people that were working in essential roles, right? I mean, you might recall, I mean, communities of color tended to take these sort of frontline civilian roles. Folks in the medical space, as you know, I mean, in rural America, so many, there's such a deficit in medical practitioners that you have immigrants on special visas Mm -hmm. taking on these essential roles because they can't find anybody to take on the job themselves. In some parts of Georgia, there are not pediatricians or general physicians in an entire county. Okay, this is, this is a state that has notable relevance in our country right now and has one of the world's greatest medical systems. And just an hour or two hours away, they well, can't the even head, find someone to take care of your kid. The headquarters of the CDC, isn't that, isn't that right? The headquarters of the CDC is there, yeah. <laughs> that, that place, by the way. Not even talking about Emory or all these great academic institutions. You know, the CDC, which you might have heard of, right? And so I write this piece. It goes in the local paper, you know, the Albany Herald, right? Uh, Albany, Georgia, not Albany, New York. That's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And two things happen, Hurricane. One, people read it, partly because it was a slow news cycle, (laughs) I would admit, but also because some of these families knew my family. But they, they had known me over the years. They always said, oh, Jeff, he, you know, you, oh, you're Lee's kid. You're the one with the shiny office jobs. That's how they describe our work, by the way. If you're not in the farm, they think of you like in this tower or something. <laughs> and um, the second thing that happened is I think the piece really connected because my parents had their neighbors apologize to them. And it was the first time in my life ever that I realized that if you really wanted to speak about an issue and you had passion and, and facts and an open heart to sort of forgive, I think you can really bring people with you. And that's what started the sort of path of writing on these issues. Um, And I will say specifically in this time, that COVID-19 has highlighted one really big thing besides racism. Uh, It's highlighted the widening gap of haves and have nots in basic government service delivery, specifically when you think about care. Right. And, you know, even in vaccine distribution, even in mass distribution, even in economic aid that's been afforded by the U.S. government, there's still a widening chasm between those who get these services and those who don't get them. And it's not because they don't want them. And that's something we need to talk about from a delivery perspective. That's a huge challenge, especially in communities of color who are disproportionately underserved, disproportionately devalued, and disproportionately uh, in a place where they have, they face more insecurity. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just literally like just kind of in almost a frozen mode right now, just listen to you covering a lot of uh, 
I mean, this is the reality, and, and it's it's really uh, saddening to hear. And uh, again, you've talked about the story about your parents and how they came to the country, but this is something that happened over the century, over and over. Whenever there's a problem, you know, from any region, that's the same reaction. And and I, I believe that the Asian community has experienced it more than probably a lot of. I mean, there's obviously the, the, the African-American community and there's other type of immigrants. We had the Mexicans and then the Latinos and we have the, the, the Muslims and then, you know, the Arabs and the, every, everybody almost got their own time frame and they had to be highlighted somehow in a negative way and uh, be the, the actual focus point or the focal point rather uh, of, of hate or discrimination and any of those. And, but, but you mentioned something that's very you know, important for people that are watching and listening right now. Uh, you talked about the immigration and why the American dream is something that is sold all over the world as hope. <laughs> and I, listen, I came to the United States for the American dream for my kids. I am your parents, <laughs> you know, literally <laughs> I may not look like it, but <laughs> maybe I, I don't know. You know. look pretty young, man. I can't imagine you as a dad, to be honest. Uh, well, uh, I am. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, that was the idea. It was my thing was the American dream. Like, you know, I wanted to be in the U.S. I wanted to be here and contribute. And, and I did. I mean, over the years, I, I was able to to make it through again, maybe shiny suit and all that good stuff <laughs> was the dream and not, not labor. Although I had to start with the labor and, and stuff, but I, I tended to, you know, gravitate more towards, you know, the, the latter part. And, and I did, you know, with, with, I would say, good success, I would say. But it was never, you know, it was never that easy. That's one. And, and for any immigrants, when they come in, it's harder, but you, but but you said something that's important. They they put their head down. They just focus on building. They work. They contribute, and they do the best that they can to fit in, and 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 then for a purpose that their kids will have free access to everything. When I say free here, like you know, uh, equal rights and equal access to everything, and 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 be exactly you know the next generation of Americans, and basically just you know melt right in and become part of the the, the fabric, and life goes on, and everything is good. But then you have something like this that happens, an event worldwide and, and even localized. And then you just have this almost surge of, of like uh, a feeling that you forgot that it existed for a moment. Or at least you, you've ignored for a minute because that never left. <laughs> that feeling is always there. But people tend to, to your point, they can be you know, a little bit you know, hypocritical in front of you. They'll smile in your face. You know, it's all good. But their true intentions may be that, you know, you don't belong. I don't like you so much, whatever. So that's the thing. People look at you. You don't know what they think of you. They don't have, you know, they're not going to tell you like, listen, I hate you. But in this case, uh, I mean, it happens every now and then, you know, but isolated cases. But in this case, because of the pandemic, a lot of people just find it like, you know what, you know, I got to blame the other guy. Like, you know, it's your fault. You, you're eating bad. You're doing this. I mean, have we heard all the, the different, you know, nonsense that was happening? There? And I do want to say that that's not the majority of the people. You know, but there's a percentage of people that just thrive on this. <laughs> they literally love this stuff. Oh, let me pick on these guys. Mm -hmm. That's sad. Well, Hurricane, I mean, I, we talked about it earlier about the, you know, before we hopped on about the Muslim American community over the last 20 years. You, yeah. know, you know, after 9-11, I suspect you had some issues. Oh, right? big time issues. You know, <laughs> just minor issues there. Uh, but it's a great example. You know, when people live in fear and insecurity and and they're scared for their family and loved ones there is a degree of human nature mm -hmm. i'll say that it's easier to want to find an external thing to put your blame towards right to scapegoat to 
to put your ills into something else. Because if you feel like it's your way of controlling a situation and making sense of something very difficult to make sense of, right? That's sort of the nice way of saying people are really scared and angry and they want to have something to point to, right? At the same time, I mean, the things that you were highlighting about, about the dream, and I'm sure, like, you know, how old are your kids right now? Your kids, how old are they? Well, my oldest is 25. And 25. Okay, your kid is 25. What does your kid want to do? 25 year old. What does your kid want to do? Oh, he's just living his, you know, he's working, he's just enjoying his life already. So we, he's trying to fit in, you know, what, you know, just as, as a normal, you know, with his name, actually, nevertheless, his name is very highlighted. So you can't hide with a name like his. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but just to say, like, at 25 years old, he, he is doing things that had you not um, immigrated to the United States, he probably wouldn't have had those same opportunities. Is that fair to say? That is that, well, right. it, maybe they would have access, but it would be maybe. very difficult. Let's say, maybe, statistically. statistically, statistically, yes, definitely. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you statistically, said your, your parents left for for different reasons because of war and stuff. But but to your point, a lot of people leave their countries. There's no war and everything, but there's economic uh, situations. Right. You can't find a job. It's hard to make it. So you want to find yeah. a better place where you can succeed. Well, and in your instance, I mean, there was a degree of um, optionality, right? But in um, and for many other immigrant communities, I mean, for my parents, right? Yeah, if they didn't that? leave, they'd be dead. So my chances of succeeding in America would have been zero if they didn't make it, right? And had they stayed, my opportunity to be successful would have been zero because they'd be dead. Right. So it's a very different degree of, ooh, maybe they'll have a better chance in your, yes. in your life versus I'm going to leave everything I have ever known, the country that gave me my identity, my status, my being, to come here with nothing and not even the linguistic skills, start from zero, try to figure out the DMV, by the way. Good luck. Just starting <laughs> out. Okay. I want you to think about that. That's, the, that's how the situation was so dire. They're leaving the country. By the way, they'll never get back to again. Mm -hmm. And even if they do come back, it's not theirs anymore. That's a hard thing. Because, you know, we talk about the people who, who, who make it here and it's a success there's, it's still a loss. It's still a loss of, of a part of them. And when my parents realize that they still don't get to be considered American, despite everything, they live that loss over again. And you can imagine what that impact might be on a, from a mountain wellness perspective, which by the way, during this time, I think it's fair to say all of us have probably had to weather some mental wellness challenges during this time. Um, and I think that is a huge, a huge gap here. Uh, you know, I, we, of course, encourage so many others to have the opportunity to engage in services if you can. But it's not getting easier. It's still getting harder, especially in this wave right now. And we're living another wave this time. And when will the next wave come? And that uncertainty creates this challenge. I want to leave you with one question. So at that airport, what happened to me? You know, if you had been at that airport with me and you saw me get spit on, what would you have done? Oh, I would have been pissed. <laughs> I, 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 I know that. I know that. Because, because you know what, I've, I've almost, I, I was not spat at, but I, I know I've had, uh, you know, people challenge You've seen me. it. You've seen it. No, actually, people came out to my face, to my mom back in the days, and especially like you mentioned something about nine eleven. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people that know you, they, they kind of behave nicely, but people that didn't care and didn't know you, uh, they'll look at you. So, for example, for us, you would go to pray, whatever, and then people will look at you like, ah, look at them, these bad guys, yeah. terrorists, whatever. Yeah. And believe it or not, even today, like, you know, my kids, the younger ones, 
they still face it. Even at school, they joke at them. Hey, where's your bag? You know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my, you know, and they start making fun of, you know, the words, the lock bar and whatever. You know, the same thing that you see in the movies. They still they're still facing it. I mean, to your point earlier, you try to make light of it and, you know, just kind of ignore it. That's but, awesome. but, yeah. but it's but but again, because you, if you fight every day, it's going to just continue. It's not going to stop. And, know, and it, I, it's hard, you know, for especially for kids. It is hard because it it hurts. And you don't know what you can do for it as a parent. You're, you know, you want to be there, but there's some things that are very difficult. I say this because, and this is one of the reasons why I really try to speak up about these issues as much as possible is because I want to believe that you and others, if you had been in that, those same 10 spots, those same 10 people, the outcome would be different. I want to believe that, but there is something very interesting when you think about group dynamics mm-hmm. where, um, there needs to be very important cues on how people would engage in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. How do you become a good ally in that, in that event, right? Which is jarring and shocking for one and two. And three, there's no, there's no, there's no code book, right? Oh, hey, what do I do when I get spit on? You know, if you see a car accident, right? And it looks bad, you call 911, right? If you see someone get a giant loogie in their face, what do you do, right? There's no like natural thing. And that's why we have to talk about these issues about, you know, what, what, what individuals should do, what organizations can do, and also what places of commerce or, or employment should be doing. Because, you know, in the reporting that we have from Stop AAPI Hate, which is sort of one of the ringleaders in, um, you know, collecting data of, of acts of violence and hate against the Asian American community, the two places where uh, they're most likely to face these, these uncomfortable circumstances, one is in places of transit. So me at an airport is pretty standard, but actually you should see what it looks like at a bus stop or walking down the streets. The second place though, that surprised, which surprised me where people face harassment or other sort of weird situations is actually in the workplace. So mm-hmm. employers have a really important role, not just because it's the right thing to do, but also for morale reasons, for uh, you know, cr- you know, fostering a diverse and inclusive culture, you name it. And I encourage, um, you know, business leaders who I speak to when I give trainings and discussions, how important it is to have, um, you know, allyship training, to be able to have a clear roadmap of what you do in these sort of acts of discrimination, like what you do, because if you don't do something, you're kind of complicit in it, right? I mean, that's a, you become a bystander. So there has to be a framework of, hey, if something happens, what do I do? A, B, C, D, E. And, you know, uh, Asian Americans advancing justice has some of the best uh, training in that space. I'll make sure to get you that for the, for the show notes Please. or others to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, one hour of your life is worth it. And you know, I tried to tell um, you know, HR and diversity officers and various fortune companies to, to walk through uh, how these community members communicate, mm-hmm. how their life experiences make them different in the economic spaces that they occupy, right? That, you know, just because just because they're uh, happy to be there doesn't mean they should get passed over for leadership roles and opportunities, for example. So there's a lot of instances that, I mean, it's complicated in the public health space, broadly speaking, and in the economic space. Um, but it's just to say, to your point at the very beginning, is to say that, listen, there's a lot of groups that face challenges and discrimination. Some of it's really horrible. Some of it has histories over 400 years, right, in terms of yes. you know, being enslaved, for example. 
but it's not to say like Asians are having a, you know, a, a, just a picnic through this time. That's the thing I want to just highlight. It's like, listen, th- these groups face challenges, especially if they're in the most vulnerable. I'll give you, I'll give you an example in terms of um, some of the challenges of why the lack of education on Asian Americans is such an issue, right? It's a, it's a health issue. It's directly a health issue. So when you put all the groups together, yes, this group does tend to have a higher education rate. Yes, these groups tend to have um, higher health standards. Yes, these groups tend to have, um, you know, um, higher percentages of home ownership. Those are important indicators. When you disaggregate the numbers, Hurricane, what it reveals is a distinct difference in haves and have-nots, largely driven by when they've made it here to this country. So my community, the Vietnamese American community, they are far more likely to uh, have lower high school graduation rates. They are far more likely to have instances in the criminal justice system. They're far more likely uh, to have lower life expectancy than some of their other Asian American peers. Golly, why is that, right? Some of that, some of the structural institutional stuff, right? Other parts of it is the inability to access services just all together because of English language proficiency challenges, because of, um, you know, cultural bias that they face. These things have significant um, effects in our society that we don't see because we just blurred all together like it's A-OK. And the federal government and some state governments are working hard. I will just mention one more point. One of the reasons why Asian Americans um, are still seen as an other is because there is such a lack of understanding of this history. Most recently, uh, just a few days ago, the state of New Jersey passed legislation to include a requirement for K through 12 education on Asian American history. The state of Illinois pushed out similar legislation and was enacted to law last year. I'm not saying it solves things. I'm just saying it helps people understand what this history is of a broader community. That's more than, oh, we fought some wars in Korea and Vietnam and here they are. That's usually the gist of the story, by the way, usually. Well, well I was going to say that, I mean, especially with, for the Vietnamese American community. I mean, yes, it's, it's a war-driven community technically, uh, you know, so we went there and, uh, you know, the ramifications of that war, you know, there's, there's refugees and therefore we have a new community. And you're right, the inclusion in legislation and education and all the stuff and, and, and there, you know, there's, I mean, again, recently we've seen in the last uh, decade, I would say there's more shows, there's more programs, you know, and things like, even on TV and, 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 and different things that highlight the Asian community more. But you're right, it's still being perceived as maybe one of the denominations within the Asian community, not all of them. You don't have, you know, like for the most, you'll see more Chinese, maybe more uh, Korean. I don't know. Uh, but but there will be less, for example, from the other smaller groups. And and again, it's just the, the overall, we, everybody's lumped up in one place, even like for us. I mean, you mentioned some of the Muslims, you know, there's the Arabs and there's the Arabs. <laughs> you know, all, <laughs> so 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 the, the challenge there is like, you know, there's more Muslims that are not Arabs than actually Arabs. <laughs> but but people don't know that. Right. And so so it and you mentioned something about, you know, uh, for our community, for example, right. You're right. When when 9-11 happened, everybody was painted with the same brush. You know, you're all bad people. It doesn't matter. To your point, someone wanted to have, you know, it eases your mind when you have somebody to blame. You know, I wasn't there. I didn't do anything wrong. But you know what? I just have to, I fit the profile, right? <laughs> you know, therefore, I am bad. And that's how people look at it. But they, again, education, it took a whole, I mean, two decades 
and it's still there is remnants there. I mean, you know, movies that were, were, were almost like bad to the bone, you know, that you know reflected all the bad stuff to the point that people now that they, they see you uh, like see a woman with a scarf. I mean, they automatically talk to her, you know, in Arabic or say, go to your home, even though she was born in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. Same yeah. I mean, she loves, she loves pizza and baseball more than anybody. Right. Like that sort of thing. Um, I, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I see that even in, in, in the social media, you know, they're, they're American as Americans. They get just because they I look mean, it's different. Apple pie. That, that's right. It's apple pie. It, sorry. You were going to say something, Jeff. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, it took 20 years, right? 21 years. This is 21st year. Uh, That's one generation, but that's also half my life, right? Think of it that way. Uh, Time bends in a very interesting way. And 20 years is still not enough, right? For your kids, your youngest kids to still face something that happened that's a relic of history, not even in their, their existence, they like, weren't born. <laughs> they weren't even born. Yeah. Right. Exactly. They weren't even born. I mean, we had, you know, I mean, you know, I remember, I mean, we had, you know, obviously American service members in Afghanistan, right. Um, that weren't even born uh, until after 9-11 were serving in this conflict. I say this from, again, from a public health perspective. I mean, that's a fascinating uh, point of decisions, right. To decide to serve your country on um, pretenses of something that was well before your existence, I mean, if you think about the decisions of your life, like, it's a pretty interesting point, you know, and um, but also to say, like, the history has a way of repeating itself. Um, and this is why it's so important to have a better understanding of these communities, because guess what? If it is the case of an active global conflict, they will eventually make it here. And guess what? If we do it right, they will be the greatest champions of our country and the greatest contributors for our country and communities and others so that they can serve as you know, doctors in essential roles in rural communities, they can't find anyone for the work. Or in this instance, might be the brains behind a vaccine or a booster or the next innovation. It comes here. Which is real. Well, by the way, I mean, I want to go back to that. The the, the point that you made about the suburbs or the the actual, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, areas where the rural areas where there is less Mm -hmm access and, and disparity in terms of access to care and, and services mm-hmm. and the limitations. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is astonishing when you hear that, you know, even in, in metropolitan areas, it's still not all accessible at the same rate. And some communities have lesser valuable, you know, places and, and care, whatever. But you mentioned something like in the state of Georgia, for example, that's something I, I would, I wouldn't, I couldn't even possibly think about, you know, that there was counties that had no, <laughs> providers that that's yeah. like almost crazy to, to hear and you said yeah. i mean this is a state where the cdc you know <laughs> operates and that's where they make the, the call and decision it's it's just tremendous to sometimes to think about this right the other item that i wanted to just briefly talk about is the mental state yeah and i think you alluded to it briefly but but the mental state of anyone facing this uh, people may not even understand what that lo- what that feels like, what that looks like, unless you've experienced it yourself. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has ever experienced hate or racism or discrimination, they they don't see the world the same way because it's 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 like you know being bitten by a by a snake, <laughs> you know it's it's dangerous, yeah. right? I mean it's deadly, and and you're like you feel that pain. It's hard, and it affects you, and and some people react to it differently. It isn't even here's the thing. It's not even the bite of the snake. It's the fear of the snake. 
well, that's right. I mean, eventually, right. the fear, that's I mean, what the snake, obviously being bit by a snake must suck. It hasn't happened to me <laughs> yet, but it's the fear of it happening that can be paralyzing in itself. Yes. Um, I'll give you an example of, of how that fear could be, uh, could manifest itself. So after the, uh, you might recall last March, there was a, there were shootings at these Asian owned spas yes. in Atlanta, yep. um, where women, Asian women were hunted and murdered, basically. Um, after that happened, I, I received a number of text messages from friends across country, largely because they knew my family lives in Georgia, uh, but also because they wanted specific information because they were worried about their mothers and sisters and daughters and cousins and about their grandparents. So th there was a chain, a WhatsApp chain between me and about 50 friends. And these are friends, Hurricane, that were, I would call them the most apathetic Asians you could think of. They only cared about three things before this, okay? They cared about their mortgage payment, they cared about kids schooling, and a promotion at work. That's like the most stereotypical thing I could think of. And here are the same people saying, hey, where can I give money to support the, to support anti-Asian hate? Where can I, um, who should I write? What can I do? There was sort of this activation that had happened that I had honestly never seen before. And that was a year into the pandemic. And one of the subchains was about, was about physical security and safety for their grandma, who was walking down, um, down the street and got pushed into the street by people. Okay. And then someone, was, someone wrote and said, that happened to mine too. And mine too. And mine too. And they said, what are they going to do? I said, oh, I'm going to get them some pepper spray. And then, so someone says, oh, let's get them pepper spray. And then someone says, oh, I like this one. It has a good handle. And then someone would chime in and say, oh, I like this one better. It has a farther spray radius. And then this person would say, oh, but this one has a better chain. Oh, but this one, you can add a knife to it. Wait, does this have a siren? Is there a, uh, is it a clicker? Okay, with exceeding, excruciating detail. And these were friends who, for the most part, had never really interacted with each other before. Having this conversation digitally about issues their, their families that all faced all across the country, all at the same time. I, I mean, I can't tell. I mean, that sounds like a public health issue to me. I don't know about you. And that was a real thing. And guess what? These grandmas are now retrofitted with some of the nicest pepper spray tech I can think of with exceeding detail. And if you live like that, now with the fear of, I don't know, you being pushed into a train at any moment, it's very hard to uh, live without that low-grade stress. Mm. I can only imagine how that affects your state, how it helps the way you, how it impacts the way you sleep, and how much you must worry about family. Jeff, that is, that is so, so serious stuff because think about it. I, I, I can relate to that in terms of just understanding it. You walk in the street, you don't know the reaction of who's around you. You become yourself so aware and so ready for anything that you can yourself become a problem. <laughs> I mean, literally, you're ready to fight sometimes just for, for no reason because you're almost like ready. You're like you're now in a, in a state of awareness that you're mm -hmm. reactive. And, and it's that's a not fight or flight. Fight or exactly. flight. Not, exactly. Yeah. So now you become like you're almost like the, the, the monster is out. Everybody has a monster. <laughs> and so now people are walking in. You can't be a sheep. You can't be just like, you know, I'm just going to walk and put my head down like an ostrich. You're going to stand up. And now 
that could create more problems. It could now some of the communities or elements in the communities can can react differently. I'm gonna see someone. I'm just gonna you know do something about it, right? That becomes another problem. Now that's not we don't advocate that, but at the end of the day, that could be to the level where the mental stat in the status is gonna drive. Not everybody's gonna take this, you know what, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it correctly. Some people may take it, you know, the law in their hands and become, you know, uh, vigilantes. You never know. I mean, things can happen bad. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you go, people may not send their kids to school, just as simple as that. You know, uh, they wanna move to a different place because they don't feel safe anymore. Now their whole financial and economical stuff is being affected because now you don't wanna live in the neighborhood because you're just afraid. So it changes the dynamics. It's bad and it shouldn't happen. And, and frankly, uh, we've created that, I mean, overall, because between the media and the politics that were involved in, in the pandemic at that time, China did, China this, that, and then people just like, you know, okay, this is Asian American, you know, well, Asians in general, it's not even saying an Asian American. <laughs> they don't even qualify it that way. They just no, look at you. Or from it, yeah. Exactly. If they only said Asian American, they will realize that these are Americans. <laughs> yeah. We can serve this country. We serve this country together. But unfortunately, they leave that American part. And now you just look at you as your heritage, which is wrong. It, it's just very difficult to even comprehend this and as, as it happens in a society today, in the 21st century. It's really quite crazy. And, and I think what you're highlighting is when you have um, an erosion of community trust, that is a negative for everybody, for the state of being and quality of life, right? Yes, and yes. that's what we have. You know, you have distrust in institutions, you have distrust in um, your others, and you, you're faced with this, oh, I have to do this on my own, right? And we should be in this time we're in, in such challenge, we should be building bridges, not, not trying to barricade each other, right? That's right. Well, Jeff, I, I you know, um, I wanted to just to touch on something you mentioned early on, which is about, we talked about the HR and, and the policies and inclusion yeah. and maybe some good education and things like that. But also like in the security world like in, in the tech and stuff, what are the things that you, based on your expertise, that, that's also your expertise. Yeah. How no, do you sure. connect those? Sure. I mean, so right now I work in the, the fintech insurance tech space right now, trying to provide low cost insurance for renters, right? We, one of the biggest challenges we're facing in the country right now is a growing uh, insecurity in housing. I mean, you might recall that if you want to try to buy a house right now in the United States, it's not an easy time to buy a home. It's also really not a good time to rent. Rents are up about 20% across the country. They're only going to go up, by the way. So imagine if you are from a more vulnerable community, there's more insecurity, there's economic flux we're in right now. Mm -hmm. There's more questions about what's happening, right? When's this next wave coming? And this has resulted in um, some evictions that we're seeing across the country. Now, thankfully, it hasn't been the same eviction tsunami that we anticipated and hoped to see, but everyone's kind of just waiting waiting for how long they can live somewhere. Now there's been some delivery of services and, and, and money for uh, basic rental assistance. It's not really enough. And so what, you know, what I'm trying to do is provide more opportunities to reduce barriers for upfront costs. So when you move in somewhere, uh, you know, think about when you moved into your first apartment, right? There's your first month's rent, and then you need a security deposits or the pet deposit or whatever deposit, right? Application fee. And there, there's two things that happen. You either pay all of that and you get to live there or you don't pay it and you don't get to live there. That ain't good for you if you have to live there though. 
right? And so trying to provide more options. So instead of a $2,000 security deposit, providing a $10 a month premium, instead of paying $2,000 upfront, it gives people more options and opportunities. So this is something that I've been trying to work on here for the past year. Um, there's about you know 2 million policyholders that we have in the US. And I think there's there's going to be opportunities to do more in trying to alleviate these, these burdens, right? The weight that people feel when they're um, making a big move. And as you know, economic mobility sometimes requires physical mobility. It is a really important part. Imagine if you were a young professional just graduating college, you know, your kid, your kid's 25. Imagine your kid moving into a, you know, a very expensive apartment in Brooklyn because their job is in the city and you have to be there. Or imagine if you are a survivor of domestic violence, what, how much it would mean for you to have some flexibility. Or maybe if you're someone returned from the criminal justice system and you're trying to have a chance. So these are communities I think about, like, you know, what, what are we doing to give people the best chance? It's kind of adjacent to that American dream we talked about earlier, but they're already here. What can we do to maximize the chances? And if they succeed, that only helps society, that only reduces burden, and it provides us a better compass of what it takes to provide uh, our citizens and others the opportunities to excel and succeed. Thank you, Jeff. And, and I want to just to link it now to, to the, the racial piece, right? Or the uh, ethnicity piece. Mm-hmm. Have you seen, uh, based on your studies and things like that, have, have you seen any, uh, I guess, influx in maybe uh, discrimination for renters and, and tenants and, or even, <laughs> I mean, yeah, listen, it's, yeah, it's that's a topic a, we could talk for another two hours. We, right? yeah, that, that way we need some drinks, Hurricane. <laughs> uh, no, the short answer is, no surprise, there is more discrimination if you come from communities of color to close on a house. Well, that's 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 been no surprise. <laughs> but you know where it's also a systemic thing. You're also less likely to get a line of credit. You're also less likely to get a favorable score. You're also less likely to even know where the listings are. You're also less likely to have a realtor do you solid. Like these sort of like just. I don't want to go into sort of very specifics, but just big picture. Yes. And there's obviously longstanding history of um, challenges in long-term wealth accumulation for communities of color, specifically black Americans who have faced a disproportionate amount of challenges in terms of uh, being able to buy, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Prices and prices are a little different. If you get my drift, that is pretty common. Now you're also seeing that at the rental level too, where there's again, more barriers for these communities than if you were from another community. That is definitely the case. And that's very clear and empirical. Politically, there's more focus on trying to narrow the gap of homeownership, trying to find a way to have more opportunity. But in my view, if, if buying is hard, renting is very hard. And we should also be trying to figure out better ways to get people access to stable, affordable, flexible, housing so that they can contribute to the economy quicker and with more efficiency. Thank you, Jeff. The one thing I wanted to just maybe if you can, if you do know that the answer is, was there any uh, maybe uptick in with the Asian community specifically? Yeah. Uh, in this instance, based, I mean, considering the, the last two years events and, and, and spike in hate. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen any data specifically on discrimination in 
home ownership or rental percentages in the Asian community. Uh, but I can tell you that I suspect that people were more likely to scrutinize their applications than they had been before. That I can probably say with certainty. Well, well you know, it, it is it is a gray area because I mean, I, it's, it's funny because I used to teach actually uh, human rights and fair housing uh, for mm -hmm. real estate in New mm -hmm. York. And, and that's a very touchy subject. And there's a lot of tricks and loopholes that are used uh, to to kind of shift out, you know, different you know categories or groups, right? You know, mm -hmm. or even religions or genders and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And although there are a lot of protected categories and everything, people still find a way. There's always a loophole. There's always a loophole. That's what I've learned in law. And um, some of those loopholes are designed for one reason, and sometimes they're designed for other reasons. Um, you, I don't want to attribute what I consider malice on that. Um, but it's, but you're right. Uh, the devil is in the details. And, and, and again, it, it's been utilized. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. And, uh, you've seen it also in dynamics and in demographics, you know, uh, I guess assignments <laughs> in some areas there, you see a, a, an optic in a particular community versus another, or like a, a limitation, you know, to, to access, uh, because of who you are. And then you'll see more to your point prices, way up there because the average person may not be able to afford it. And then, so it gets a little crazy and, and believe me, uh, I, we talked about, you know, some of the racial stuff, but when, uh, again, we talk about nine 11, when you look different or you look like, you know, one of those guys now, people may not welcome you in the neighborhood as much as they would if you didn't look like, right. So it's, a you don't challenge. think they're coming over. You don't think they're coming over a potato salad. <laughs> I, I don't remember getting a pie at, at, at the, the, the uh, introduction of the house here. There was no pies for me, <laughs> but we, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm just being funny about it, but really that's, that's actually the reality of things. And uh, unfortunately every community that faces some sort of discrimination and, or, you know, uh, hate spike at any given moment, they tend to actually suffer across the board from everything, the education, the housing, the business. And again, I mean, I hope that that's not the case because I still believe that the majority of people are decent and they are uh, not as ignorant, but you have the few that actually, they don't care. They just look at you <laughs> and they decide. They make a judgment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, one last data point I'll, I'll mention on discrimination during this time. You know, when um, when the economy was opening up again last year, um, you know, when businesses were had gotten their PPP loans, right, to get back on their feet, yeah. uh, Asian-owned restaurants and small businesses, laundromats, this sort of thing, um, faced an increase in vandalism. So some of the money that was going towards their business was now going to repairs for vandalism purposes in sort of the more, um, uh, you know, more consolidated places of Asian commerce, right? So your Chinatowns, your Koreatowns, your Japantowns across the country had sort of seen spikes of um, discrimination or sort of, uh, you know, acts of graffiti or these sort of instances that maybe not only don't make you feel included, but also is an active attack on your livelihood. And that was something that was clearly felt as well. It was underreported, but I think important to highlight when you think about how violence and economics and economic insecurity sort of hit both at the same time. How does that affect the already marginalized group on the, on, you know, on the edge of things as it is during this time? 
Well, Jeff, you you you've asked a lot of serious questions, and you've covered a lot of grounds there. <laughs> We've solved uh, it all. We solved it all, Hurricane. Uh, listen, uh, here's here's a quick solution. We should all love each other. We should all <laughs> treat people right, and they should all see the contribution of people for who they are. And that's me personally. I I, I have a very positive outlook, you know, in life, and I I wish that everybody can get along and, you know, we don't, we, we look past, you know, the visual effect and, you know, and, and the nonsense and really treat people for who they are. There's, I only believe in two things. There's the good people and the bad people. And I think that there's more good people than the bad people. And I hope that's the case, but you know, that's wishful thinking because reality evil does exist and it will continue existing. It existed from, from the beginning of times. And these things unfortunately do happen and they will happen. It's not going to be the end. Uh, and by the way, we're talking about the U.S. specifically, but some of this stuff is going around the world. It's just not the only place where it's happening. Uh, we just we just understand it better here, I guess. Uh, but but that's in Europe. I've seen it in Europe. Uh, it's happening in Africa today. Uh, it's happening, you know, across different regions around the world. So it's it's very difficult, and uh, unfortunately, it's real. And just to your point, more education, more availability in terms of like activism and stuff like that to actually make things, you know. Uh, clearer, whether it's at the workplace, whether it's in legislation, whether in the school system, those things can make a big difference. And and again, listen, people like yourself working hard to make a difference. I think that is that is uh, commendable. You know, I mean, you guys are doing this and we wish there are more people doing this job to help people get better in, in their lives. It, you know, listen, Hurricane, it, it's been such a pleasure. It takes a village uh, and it takes and it takes not just a village, but it takes people from other villages to come in That's and right. recognize these challenges, that things aren't just rosy perfect, and that there needs to be accountability in all of us. Because at the end of the day, when something bad happens, like being, if you see someone get spit on, what would you really do? And I want to believe on the angels. The angels of us would step in and protect our fellow brother or sister. The reality is sometimes the fear of it prevents us from being the angels that we could be. And that's why we need to talk about these issues, even if it's a little hard. Well, I agree with you. And by the way, that is a very difficult question. And I know for a fact, I wouldn't have stayed quiet. I am, <laughs> I, I am one of those people that actually will go and stop someone, but I'll probably get in trouble. But but uh, I've done it actually before, so I can tell you it's, it's good trouble. It's good trouble. That's <laughs> listen. The, I mean, I don't stuff. get in a conflict, but I I try to defuse the conflict and you know just yeah. uh, make it. But 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 you're right. It's tough. And and you're right. I, and I have to say this: when the Muslim ban, for example, happened, oh, yeah. all commu all communities came together uh, to assist. You know, and I can say that should be to your point. It takes not just the village; it takes the world together to help. So wh whenever yeah. a community is having a situation. Other communities should just stand because it will happen to them one day or another. <laughs> it could happen to anyone at any given time. So don't think this is just the other guys. It could happen home as well. And that's actually my view of things. But I, uh, I always joke about aliens. <laughs> you know, only in the face of aliens where all humanity gets together and become one. <laughs> so yeah. so I, I wish we have aliens and this way we don't have to look at the differences and we just look at the other guys and maybe we get friendly with them too. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's bad, Hurricane, if, we, you know, our best bet for solidarity is an alien invasion. So I'm going to hope that we don't have to get to that. <laughs> well, you know, but, uh, of course not. but that, that's really sometimes it's, but you know, it's funny because at the onset of the, the pandemic, People did come together first, you know, because it was kind of almost like, oh, we're facing the same, you know, evil power. And then all of a sudden, people started like deviating from the source or the core of the, the focus and started talking about these, these nonsense. And then obviously the Asian community got highlighted and become a whole different angle. But listen, um, 
I, I really am enjoying this discussion. I mean, we passed the hour here. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you, are there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to, to, to recommend or advise people listening and viewers right now uh, in terms of like what they can do to contribute? I don't think you covered some, but, you know, maybe some specific ones you want to just leave the show uh, and the audiences with. Yeah, I mean, one thing, um, you know, if we've been talking about sort of these trends, if they want to um, access Stop API Hate, they have recent reports of the latest self-reported acts of violence and discrimination. Just, just note, this is self-reported. So the reality of the reporting is much higher, like other public health issues, there's under-reporting there. So that's one thing you can do. The second thing I would recommend um, to, to friends, family, loved ones, and your audience here today is if you know there's somebody that you're close to from the community, have them tell you their story. So rarely do people in our community um, have the opportunity to speak about their history. It's a very rare thing. I would love you to learn about our history, but speak to someone you care about that could tell you more. And if you want to learn more about Asian American history, uh, PBS has an amazing, amazing documentary on the history of Asian Americans. Great series. Highly recommend it. We'll put it in the show notes as well. But those are a couple of things I would just highly recommend you do to keep yourself informed and educated, to try to help uh, better frame and understand maybe what a society, a group of people have gone through and what they continue to go through in their daily life going forward. Thank you, Jeff. And I'll just add one thing. Uh, if you ever put yourself in their shoes, you know, any of those, you'll probably do a lot more. And yes, you're right. Learn about your neighbor, learn about your other, you know, countrymen <laughs> and women and just to just learn the cultures. I think it, it, diversity is there and it's real. It's happening. And it's not going to end. So let's just learn about everybody else's culture, religion, beliefs, and respect each other. I think that's that's the bottom line. And by the way, yes, yeah, send me those links because I want to yep. add them to the description. And of course, people can find them useful. Well, Jeff, it's been real. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you have better things to do <laughs> you know, after this show. And hopefully there's nothing better than our conversation. I really appreciate the opportunity, Hurricane. Have a fantastic uh, you know, rest of your weekend with family and friends and loved ones. And thank you for everyone for taking the time to listen to our conversation today. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. And likewise, same to you. Uh, folks, thank you for being with us, for listening and on iHealth Radio, watching on iHealth Channel. And uh, so Hurricane H here, we'll be talking soon. Different show, different guests, different topic. Ciao for now. Bye-bye. <laughs>